The thing that I hear so much about is this over-indexing on magical technologies slash shiny objects that people talk about as though they're the panacea that we've all been missing out. And this over-indexing on just the technology often completely ignores you know, the people and process side of things, which really either make the technology invest in be incredibly impactful or completely redundant and useless. This week, we are brought to you by Attest. Attest is a consumer research platform that enables brands to make customer understanding a competitive advantage with continuous insights. By combining unparalleled speed and data quality with on-demand research guidance, the platform makes it simple and fast to uncover opportunities with consumer data and grow without guesswork. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollison. I'm the founder of Automated Creative, and this is a weekly podcast about the future of the advertising and marketing industry. And every week I get to speak to one of its leaders. What a treat. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Abhijit Shom, who is Vice President, Global Digital and Social Marketing at MasterCard. Abhijit, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give us all an overview? You bet. I think most people don't know me, Tom, so we'll start with that. My name is Abhijit Chum. I've been at MasterCard now a little bit, uh, close to almost close to five years now. I am a digital marketer at heart, and I've been doing digital marketing for way longer than I'd like to admit publicly. I've come from a sales and marketing background my entire life. I've worked both in the B2B side as well as the B2C side prior to that. I am a recovering entrepreneur, having gone through a few um, journeys, both bootstrapping as well as venture-funded companies in my life. And uh, for now, I'm comfortably settled in working for larger corporations. Right. Tell me about the entrepreneurial journey. I'm one myself, so I'm very keen to hear about the battle scars. <laughs> yeah, it... Uh, you know, called me foolish for that. I started my first uh, business on April Fool's Day and a few years ago when we had a younger than two-year child. So perhaps wasn't the smartest choice at that time, but it was one hell of a ride. We, we built an incredibly successful company in the first three years, but then we got hit with the recessionary environment. And what and was, the, what was that, the business? It was a business where we were helping uh, large companies reimagine how their core business systems would have and processes would have to work as they moved away from traditional white uh, mainframe based systems, which would not be compliant with Y2K. So we worked a lot on processes that they would have to implement in technology, in ERP technologies, which were fairly nascent at that point in time. Wow. That sounds like a long and complex sell, blimey. I'll have to, I'll have to yes. dig into that a, a bit more in the, another chat. But what was the other business? Yeah. Um, and before we jump off into the second one, oh, sorry. this one, we also, you know, it was the early stages of web. So we were, we also dive, uh, you know, expanded our focus and went into a little bit of e-commerce consulting. Um, and those were few and far between at that time. 
But we did some very interesting work going back to the late 90s when um, it, it, we were truly in a web 1.0 world where it was largely brochureware on the website. And some folks were just starting to move into more of an e-commerce play. Um, so that's, so that was the second part of what we did. The second business that you just asked me about, Tom, was we were at that point in time looking at the space and seeing lots of companies trying to forcibly implement CRM systems to get better data in terms of pipelines and forecasts out of their sales team. Having been in that profession, we all realized that that was not a fun job. Nobody in sales really wanted to spend a lot of time filling out spreadsheets or systems, et cetera. However, our um, realization was that it's not that salespeople don't want to use new technologies. It is that they want to use those that help them become more successful. So our take was, what if we could build something that would help us each salesperson make more money? And the derivative of that system would be the data that the corporations desired. Rather than make the data the point of it, we wanted to make making money for salespeople or seeing success to be more easier and then see if that gave better data. We built, we started a really successful company recognized by Gartner, et cetera. Unfortunately, this venture too, uh, we ran into uh, fundraising issues in the recession of the 2000s and ended up having to sell the business much earlier than we would have wanted to. I just struggling to make the leap between the two businesses you've just described and your role now. So what was how did that, how did that journey happen? <laughs> so so think about I would think about the journey this way. First time entrepreneur, lots of scratches and burns trying to figure out how to sell sell something complex, right? was sort of the learning out of the first business. The second business was almost to say how do I take those learnings and can we build something that would have been useful to me, a novice seller, and also to amazing sellers out there, right? So that was sort of the second uh, second um, company that we founded was to, was to create something that would help any entrepreneur, any salesperson um, pitch and sell, sell their products, right? Um, so that was sort of the second one. And in that second journey, if you will, what we realized is how important it is to bring sales and marketing together. And it is, it sounds like a little bit of a cliche, but it's hard to get that done. It's hard to take uh, marketing speak and, and enable it for salespeople, right? It's hard to think about uh, something as marketing, which tends to be, um, you know, broad strokes, feature oriented, et cetera, uh, and then try to translate that into something more tactical as in, hey, customer, what can I do to get you to sign on this deal here, right? Um, so realize very quickly the bridge that needs to be built at a very, very fundamental level between sales and marketing. 
And that then has taken me from sort of pivoting away from the sales and enabling sales side to thinking about marketing at a broader level and um, enabled, if you will, my pivot to be, to be today spending most of my time thinking about marketing. And of course, you know, everything in the world is digital today. So um, based on, you know, sort of the timing when my thoughts started evolving, I've been a digital marketer for the last um, decade and a half. So across that career, what are the bad recommendations that you hear in our industry? <laughs> um, so I, let me, let me focus in on the recent past, if you will, Tom, because I think um, it probably be pretty hard for me to go back that far. The thing that I hear so much about is this over-indexing on magical technologies slash shiny objects that people talk about as though they're the panacea that we've all been missing out. And this over-indexing on just the technology often completely ignores you know, the people and process side of things, which really either make the technology invest in be incredibly impactful or completely redundant and useless. So I, I would say that my, my, the bad advice I hear is really around people talking about different magical technologies solving problems and wow. making it seem like they do it on their own. God, yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would love to go deeper on that, and and but another time we need to press on. But great advice nonetheless. So that's your kind of bit of overview there. But have you got like a, another sort of marketing tip, like something that you rely on, your kind of little golden nugget of advice that makes you look really clever when you say it? Yeah, I think it's too often we as marketers are sort of pulled in to an inside out point of view, right? Because we're working in companies and companies and businesses want to sell their products or services. So the entire echo chamber around us is about our own products or services that we're trying to sell. And it becomes really interesting to balance that with what we as marketers are supposed to be is to think about the market, right? And to say, wait a minute, I may want to talk about this, but does anybody on the other side care to hear about it? Or what are, what are they looking for, right? So, so I think this is always going to be a significant challenge for all of us marketers to kind of think about continuously think about what's the outside in point of view versus the inside out um, speak that comes out of our lips, right? And our pens or whatever other format we want to talk about. That is great advice. This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So I'm really excited to move on to the next 
bit, which is the shiny new object. <laughs> Your shiny new object is Web 3.0. That's yeah. we've covered so much of marketing already in a very short amount of time. So what is Web3 to you and why is it your shiny new object? Yeah, it, I mean, it's it's fascinating, right? And I think if we're all honest, we would all say that we don't completely know what Web3 is and therefore uh, perhaps what each one of us think about it could be slightly different. And there is no real right or wrong. I think as we sort of connect with each other, learn from each other, perhaps we all get to this this thought process about what Web 3.0 is. Um, But to get to your question on what does it mean to me, I think about it from a standpoint of what we as humans and consumers have come to expect out of the internet, uh, what we have come to expect out of our interaction with technology, right? And let's think about this. Um, I still remember my first experience of, uh, of hailing a car ride using Uber in, um, in the middle of Manhattan when it was pouring and there wasn't a taxi to be had. And I was thinking to myself, man, this is brilliant, the way this interface works. And as I then step back and think about it, uh, somebody who might have thought about it traditionally of ordering a car service would have created perhaps a digital replica of a fax form or a, or a telephone, you know, uh, booking system. Right. But these guys went and created something different. It gave us the feeling of, I know where I am. I am standing on the corner of, you know, the street and that Avenue. And I want to, I want to get a cab. And when you see that car moving on the map coming towards you, it makes it, it made it so much more real, right? And then as we think about what we're trying to do today with the headsets, the three-dimensional headsets or glasses or whatever you may, I think we're taking that experience to the next level where we want to experience our experience of the internet to be much closer to what it is in real world. And that real world is not two-dimensional, unlike the computer screen or the tablet or the phone that we interact with, right? If we think about the web today, it is a two-dimensional piece. But we're trying to stuff a three-dimensional world into a two-dimensional format. And that, to me, is fascinating, right? And if we think about it, we talk a lot about decentralization, et cetera, et cetera. But at the core of it, What I think we all are looking for is a digital experience that mimics our our real world experience, right? Um, And we talked about the three-dimensional nature. What, What does that really mean? That is at some level, not just visual, it's multi-sensory, right? We've got today haptic feedback coming in through some of these devices, right? There is sound and, and sights, of course, which has been there. But man, you know, you think about if we disconnect it, some of the VR experiences have provided smell and so on too, right? So as our computing power and bandwidth increases, we as humans are going to desire a closer similarity of a real life experience in the virtual world. Here's the challenge. We're going to go, in my opinion, if we look at history in the past, one of two ways. One way would be large technology companies will build solutions 
to create that environment. And we're already seeing that in the gaming world and the acquisitions made by Facebook and Meta and so on in technologies such as Oculus. And we will either have sort of these walled garden experiences or somebody will talk about how do we redefine the web in a manner that it suits the three-dimensional world we want want to be. And if that happens, then we're going to have the equivalent of the World Wide Web, where many people can, can um, you know, deposit lots of pieces of, of information and content, and we can all sort of get whatever we want from there, right? The openness of it will exist if somebody or some groups go and redefine how the internet today interacts with us as human beings. So, so I'm, I'm very fascinated by where this is all going to go. Clearly don't understand all of that. Uh, but I think I'm, I'm very intrigued of, of everything that's going on in this space. So lots of possible questions, but the thing that keeps on coming back to me listening to you talk is even if we had some walled garden or not walled garden, affordable, reliable, not dangerous, not smelly, not breakable headset type material, just assume that all of those form factor issues aren't aren't an issue, Mm -hmm. then there's one thing about the real world that those devices can never create, and that is the investment it takes you to get to those places, right? So so, yeah. And if you go to a festival, like oh, it's been a long time since I've been there, but like Glastonbury or a festival out of town, you know, you've got to get everything in a bag, you got to get a train, you got to get a bus, you get a horse, whatever, you got to go all the way and you get there. Um, yeah. And then everyone else who's done, got there has pretty much done a similar journey. They've invested, yeah. right? So the yeah. taste of that beer, the warmth of that sun, the smell of that fire is so much more resonant because of the investment they've made. Whereas if you go to a gig in Hyde Park in central London, you just get the tube yeah. and there's people with like yeah. briefcases and suits on and stuff. And you can have pretty much the same band, pretty much the same experience from a cold beer right. and sunshine. It's just not the same because yeah. everyone in, everyone at that gig hasn't in, invested in the same way they've invested in an out of town thing. So yes, we got yeah. an affordable, cheap, unbreakable, nice headset that takes you yeah. and I to, I don't know, an island in the middle of the Danube, for example. Um, and But the virtuality can't recreate the cost and investment it takes to put us there. So I always think it's always going to have that problem. So what's your take on yeah. that? If you think about it, right, I don't think it's one or the other, right? It's both. Everybody said, I don't know, once you know, digital music came out, concerts would get killed. No, it didn't happen, right? I think we always tend to think about what's going to go away but i think what we want what we need to learn from history is what are the new things that are going to coexist with the other ones yes share of something might change right heck you know i'm old enough to remember the days of radio stations right that we all listen to everywhere even our homes right um they've changed so I, I, it's not like they've gone away. It's not like they've died. It's they've morphed, they've changed, etc. We think about experiences today that you talked about a great example, but let's let's think about something a um, little bit more distant. Let's say, right? I still remember um, what my ex boss, Frenchman. France reaches the finals of FIFA, and I. Th- I think it's going to happen in Moscow. And I can see him 
feeling like, man, I wish I could be there, right? I couldn't for whole sets of reasons, right? Timing, et cetera. But wouldn't it be incredible if he could experience that? Maybe not the full thing, maybe a partial bit of it. Wouldn't that be better than nothing, right? Could that be better than just sitting in your living room or in a bar watching a flat screen TV, right? So here's the thing. So I don't don't know that it is, right? So sure, you can have like a a heads-up display and you can look around and you can see the rafters and, oh, look, here's my weird kind of VR hands that are below me looking a bit bit odd. But actually, like there's nothing wrong with watching football on the TV. No, sure, it's not. Yeah. It's not. Yeah, yeah. It's not being there. Treading on the seat is 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 better. I I, I yeah. assume. However, like being in a like a virtual experience, like cuts you off from other people. Whereas if that guy's in a sure. bar with his yeah. five mates and he's got a seat. Uh-huh. I mean, having a seat yes. in a bar for the whatever the final is is that's quite something. So yeah. I think there's this this. I just don't see what the the excitement is about taking people to a, a virtual reality. And I think that the thing that excites me yeah. is the way that you are getting kind of like multi-layered virtual experiences. God, that sounds yeah. But I mean, like yeah. vir- virtual goods, for example, right? You know, you can buy a pair of trainers in the real world and you can get exactly right. the same trainers for your avatar, right? So yeah. you have a sense of ownership. Both of those things have decreasing, maybe one has an increasing value right. um, in different realities. But yeah. that, that, that's an exciting mesh of real and virtual, yeah. right? I, whereas the kind of like going to see a football match with a heads-up display and like, I, I don't know, I just don't, I don't, I don't, I don't see that as much. So I'm, I'm curious to know, going back to marketing, who's doing this well? Who is doing a good job of marketing in Web3? Or is it yeah. just really so? And can I come back to that? Because I do want to add one piece to it. And, and maybe like I was saying, Tom, I don't see them as one versus the other. I was I was born and I grew up in India, a country that was very different from what it is today. And um, I never traveled outside India for you know my, the first 20 years of my life. Even in India, I probably barely traveled to five or 10 cities, right? Uh, call it economic, call it whatever. Um, so I didn't get I didn't have the ability to experience many different things, you know? So to me, there's always going to be the things, the football game that I can go to in person, but there's always going to be something that's either very far away or costly or whatever that I cannot make it there in person. Right. And might I then be able to enjoy that a little bit more than today? I think about it, you know, I grew up when it was radio. So we, I didn't have a TV in my house growing up, right? And I couldn't fathom a life without my radio when I was four years old, you know? And, and I haven't turned on a radio in the last 10 years. So I think this all changes, right? The notion, even when the iPhone first came out and I was on a BlackBerry, I'm like, what is this thing? How do I not have a tactile keyboard, you know, but we all change it all morphs. And again, I don't believe that it's one thing versus the other. I think they're all different places that they fit into our lives around us. Um, so I tend to think, think about these as what's going to augment and make things better as opposed to what's going to replace something else. I think that is a lovely place to leave the podcast and we could talk so much more and it's been an absolute pleasure if someone wants to get in touch with you to talk about a very long career in digital or even the crazy world of web3 that is or isn't happening how would you want people to get in touch with you and where is the best LinkedIn. Place to do that linkedin and what should go in that LinkedIn, LinkedIn message what's the killer message ping me if we were to talk about anything you know 
love to hear. Brilliant. All right, Abhijit, thank you so much for your time. Tom, thank you. This was a pleasure. Hi, just before you go, I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the Shiny New Object Podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes, whatever it's called these days, or whichever podcast provider you use. We're an indie podcast, so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels. That would just be fantastic. If you haven't got time, that's also cool. And yeah, if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also, if possible, don't forget to subscribe. And I'd love to hear your feedback. Uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions, anything, I'd be super interested to hear what you think. So please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net. That's T-O-M at, uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it. Anyway, you'll work it out. Thanks so much.